0: You're listening to Startup and Onward, an ongoing conversation with product sales and marketing leaders working to align teams and supercharge growth. Join us as we give you an insider's look into the real world experience of leaders seeking the growth stage by empowering their teams to navigate the Bermuda Triangle of product marketing and sales. I'm your host, Josh Taylor.
1: The idea that you will somehow stop failing means that you have stopped trying right that you have stopped pushing yourself if you find that you have stopped failing it means that, that you have ceased to take risks
0: Hey everybody, we have a fun episode today. We sat down with Ali Fouts, a little bit of a different perspective. Allie currently works at a branding agency, a focus on content strategy and how you build brands that really move into the digital spaces. That they need to live in in order for a company to be effective and we really had a great dialogue about the creative process how do you push on an idea how do you make sure that your team is pursuing ideas that are making business impact and how do you empower those people on your team especially if you're a a marketing leader but I think that these things apply to other teams. How do you put your people in a position where they can take creative risks and you come alongside them even if they fail from time to time so that they can truly learn? Hope you enjoy. Allie, so excited for our conversation. Good to see you.
1: Yeah, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me.
0: As a way of getting started, why don't you give us a brief background on your experience and what you're currently doing?
1: Sure. So I started out as a very traditional copywriter that pairing typically with an art director, part of a creative team, you know, I thought the apex of existence was a Super Bowl ad, you know, and I thought that was going to be my life. And right out of school, my art director partner, and I started a business like an ad boutique It's a nice way of saying extremely small creative services agency. Yeah. And we did that for for a couple of years. and, And then I shifted gears and decided that I was thinking about becoming a lawyer, which would have been a waking death for me. But luckily, I actually worked at a law firm for a little while. And that became apparent very quickly that I didn't want to squint at code not not computer code, but legislative code all day, where being creative also means going to jail, possibly in the, the legal profession. So then I worked in nonprofit for a little while, but then I jumped back into the agency world at a digital agency and kind of either benefited or polluted it with the ad agency point of view of, well, look, you should put designer and a writer together and they pair to do creative services. And through that process, I also realized, well, this agency doesn't have a strategist, which is a typical role at a traditional type of agency, somebody who does the interview and comes up with the strategy. So that led to developing a whole sort of process for creatives to develop their own strategy, do their own strategy work, which was... Brand new to me, and I actually realized I don't ever want to work in any other way. So that that meant learning from some really generous UX researchers and and other other folks who were more adept at strategy than than I was, and also luring designers into the process sometimes unbeknownst to them, sometimes benounced. That's the word. And then, you know, just developing a brand team at that agency and trying to have that as a, a cool differentiator to say like, look, this is, we're a creative team, but we're not, we're also the people that will roll up our sleeves and get into the strategy work with you. So the people who do your strategy are the same people who do your design are the same people who do your writing. So there's a lot less lost in translation or my favorite way of phrasing it is always been, you have to cash the strategy checks that you write when you're doing it that way. So, which often doesn't happen. People just kind of create a strategy and then they flit off into the sunset and then are never accountable for the fact that maybe it's actually not an actionable strategy. Um, Mm -hmm. It just is Mm -hmm. one that looks nice in a deck, but you can't actually create anything with it. So, and all that led me to where I am now at Upstatement. So I'm the brand strategy lead at Upstatement. We're a digital agency. And I think what was exciting to me about joining Joining that team is they, they have this concept of brand through digital that they're very, I think very devoted to. And I and I think it's it's unique and it aligns again with kind of the way that I like to work, where the concept is that digital is kind of the upstatement is part of the Q network and and they have this concept of a soul place. And that that digital is often really now the soul place for a lot of brands. It's it's the place online, digital products social whatever you want to say that that's the place where brands truly live as opposed to 50 years ago where your brand lived in a commercial you know so it's 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 been a lot of fun helping them figure out how to sort of scale that idea and refine it and and make it something that we can really own and and perfect
0: do you th- do you think that the like you're in a space when you describe brand that way, it is a very multifaceted way of looking at brand that maybe a lot of people don't see because of their background is maybe just in the logo design or the, you know, the designed elements that are more traditional as opposed to the world making that you just said, which I love. Is that empowered because you came from leading this agency and then stepping into this space where you broke down the walls between strategy and writing? And so you started to kind of, see these interconnected moments that really are talking about a world or is it some other thing that you've that's inspired where you're at
1: I think I think yes greedy to have more places to be creative is, is certainly <laughs> certainly part of it but but I also I think the other part of it is that I don't I don't I don't want to make ads for a living you know and and I don't anymore I think the The thing that I get to do now is to help a organization figure out how they want to articulate who they are and what they do and why and and help them shape a a personality almost it's almost like creating a character help them help them shape the identity personality, the the worldview of their their brand, their organization, their movement, their product. And once you have those things identified, you know, once you have the the rules of the world mapped out, then you can do anything inside that world. Mm. I mean, I think Oatly is a favorite brand of of a lot of folks that I know, and they take advantage of that. They, they just do insane their products packaging. So that's the oat milk. Swedish oat milk, I believe, which I'm sure you're familiar with.
0: Oatly. I'm yeah, sure I'm a big you, <laughs> oat milk guy.
1: <laughs> I'm sure your fridge is just filled. Um, See,
0: my wife does prefer oat milk over anything else that's a, a dairy alternative. So
1: any any other of the faux milks. The faux milk. Yeah. Milks. yeah. But, you know, their package is covered with hilarious copy. Their website is like a giant whiteboard. They created an entire series of like this funnel of websites that was all about I hate Oatly, which. Where they put all of the complaints that they get when people write to them, put them on websites, and then you like funnel down the series of like, you know, the you. It's wildly
0: unexpected. Yeah, to actually use something that people would want to be addressing, maybe minimizing, and bringing it to the forefront in a way where. I'm assuming, and hopefully, they are actually addressing some of the the, ma- the actual concerns oh, of being. Raised.
1: Oh yeah, the concerns I don't think are about the product. I think a lot of the concerns yeah. are about the marketing or people just being grouchy oh, yes. about about things. But to me, that's the that's an example of like, well, we've marked off the parameters of of who we are, the personality of who we are as an organization, and what we stand for and and what we support, and then within those boundaries, you can do whatever the heck you want. You know, create a whole nesting set of websites filled only with our hate mail, you know, and it, and it's on brand, you know, and it's and it it reinforces the laissez-faire faux milk brand that they've created, which is just fun.
0: Do you think that most companies, well, maybe I can't say most companies, but do you think that there's a challenge oftentimes with leaders at companies? where they're afraid of personality, they're afraid of their company having something that is unique and of it to itself, that it stands out, that there's almost, they see the risk to that, they don't see the benefits to that?
1: Yeah. The nail that sticks its head up gets hammered down, that old traditional concept. But I think that making, I think, someone asked me this once, someone that we were interviewing, turned the question back on us and, and asked what, what's the worst mistake a leader can ever make. And immediately this just bubbled up from, from my soul place. And, and it, it was just fear-based decision-making mm-hmm. is the worst mistake any leader can ever make. And I think, I, I guess it sounds, maybe it sounds kind of pithy to say that, but it's everywhere. And I, and I think that figuring out how to manage fear of failure and inoculate yourself against it which usually means going through a massive failure uh, there's yep. no vaccine you really just have to get hit with the live virus you know and yeah. and hopefully you survive you will survive though that's the other thing is it feels like you won't but it's never fatal and and i think that if you if you go through that process you become much less controlled by fear of failure and it's incredibly important for creatives but being afraid of your truth well told is ridiculous i understand it i understand why it happens but it's there's not really any excuse for it like if you're in a position of leadership if you're if you've been given that responsibility so
0: one of those elements of being a leader of a team. And even when you are a consultant working with a client, you are essentially leading the leader, right? You're helping them uncover new paths forward. Part of that role is being the coach to get them to jump off of the cliff with the parachute with you. I mean, that you've built this hang glider that will be able to support them. Mm -hmm. How do you, how have you found the best way of encouraging? Let's start first with your team have them internally taking the risk of avoiding maybe the fear of maybe the client's not going to like it. Or I think we like this, but it might be too edgy. Maybe we give only the safe option in front of the client, as opposed to the one that's a little bit more risky.
1: I mean, I think that, I think there's a limited amount of encouragement that you can do. I think what really matter matters is what you do when someone fails Mm. and you, and what you do when that happens is you go and support them and and you do not punish them and you talk about what would you have done differently and then you put them in a position of trust and set them up to potentially fail again you know and and i think that's how you do it is that you you trust people before they trust themselves mm. and you have to do that sometimes on a repeated basis and and eventually then they will trust themselves as much as, as you do. Do you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's a theoretical practice. I think there's no way to avoid failure. Like that's the other thing. Like you're saying it's not happens. a
0: theo- It's not theoretical to allow someone to fail.
1: I don't think that you can coach someone out of, of the risk of failing. Mm-hmm. I think that you just have to, I think it's a, I think it's a trust fall every time. And the way that you help create a team that doesn't make fear-based decisions is by letting them fail and not letting that impact the way that you treat them or impact the amount of trust that you give them. You know, like I, I I think that I mean this is all within a reasonable assessment of whether someone is truly giving it their best, whether they're following feedback, whether they're genuinely attempting things that made sense to try and then they just simply didn't work. You know what I mean? Like well, somebody was who's just like a question. loose cannon. Yeah, like how do
0: you define failure? Because I mean, failure could be a lot of different things to different leaders.
1: Yeah, I mean, mine is through a creative services lens. So to me, failure is you, you pitched an idea and your client partner wouldn't go for it. Or you pitched a really boring, safe, ineffective idea and they did go for it.
0: Well, that's interesting. Um, so if, so you're saying that even internally, if there's a scenario where you pitch the safe idea and that's chosen, an internal team may still see that as a failure?
1: I mean, ideally, safe ideas are not pitched. Ideas that are so safe that they are a disservice to your client. Should not see the light of day. That doesn't mean that a that an idea that is that is innovative enough to, to feel like a risk, but to also carry that same reward, cannot be savaged in a meeting and turned into something that no longer is stripped of its innovation and, and and is now a bland. What is that? I saw a word. A, a, a bromide one of the words the Brits have cut for themselves, like whilst bromides, <laughs> it's apparently like sedating. It's a type of salt. Anyway, it, it, if it has been bromide, I'm not using it the right a way. A great That's idea I, of
0: being bromided. <laughs>
1: I'll have to <laughs> exactly.
0: see how I can work that <laughs> into my lexicon. But when yeah, that happens, exactly. Ali, when that happens either way, whether it's a an, an idea that you tried to pitch and the client didn't choose it, or you allowed something to be, either the safe option or something that was not in the service of the client partners end goals. What's been your effective way that you found to come alongside someone and to provide that feedback? Cause it's a raw moment, right? They, they probably recognize that they've dropped the ball. Maybe you're in a situation Aha. where they don't recognize that they dropped the ball and you have to bring the facts. So. Go but
1: ahead. I think that's the thing. I don't think it's dropping the ball. Like ah, I think. Okay. I think that if you and again this this all is believing the best about people believing that you've brought ideas that are based on strategy that are are based on on genuine challenges and and you know opportunities that that are are based in business problems and goals that need to be met so again if you're bringing just capricious Crazy ideas, like that's not what I'm talking about. Like I'm talking about doing the research, doing the time, understanding the company, understanding their problems, finding the insights that no one else has found, and then turning them into a creative solution that takes advantage of that insight in a way that nobody else has done. Like these are the so that's baseline. So if you have if you've done that and and you then pitch an idea and if they don't go for it, I don't think that's dropping the ball.
0: Hmm. Well, so. that's
1: not dropping the ball that's life get up do it again find a way to salvage it that's sometimes there isn't a way to salvage it but you know it, it's failure is not fatal I think that's a, that's an old Churchill quote I think right like yeah. something about success isn't permanent failure isn't fatal it's yes. just it happens you know and you have to yeah. just keep going if there's How'd-
0: no, that's a really good thought, and I mean, I think even in the sports analogy, if like you did drop a ball, it's not me. the end of the world, I right? Don't... I know, I know, sports ball.
1: <laughs> yes, sports. I am aware that balls are held and then sometimes <laughs> dropped, and that is sometimes not ideal.
0: We will, we will line up all of our analogies, and we'll just cross off the ones that are so egregious. Failed yes. to connect. No, to... Failed to connect analogy, <laughs> but that it's it's also not like a you are a failure. It's just that this moment is something that didn't necessarily go the way that we had intended. And what I think hearing you say is that is an important moment, but it needs to be, there needs to be an additional element of the leader coming alongside that person and provide feedback. I'm assuming you're not just saying, hey, have the failure moment or however we're going to describe it. And then they're just going to self-ascribe what needs to change.
1: This is a funny thing that the whole fail fast thing that has become vile in its overuse. It's so funny because I think so often that's interpreted as let's get the failing over with. And I had a moment, the Creativity Inc., which is, of course, Apple's not a perfect, Pixar's not a perfect company, but there's a lot of interesting thoughts in there about creative leadership. The point that... That he makes in that book is that you fail fast because failure is learning and you want to get to the learning faster. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a holding your breath just so you can get through it. And then just, you know, smooth sailing, which is, I feel like how startup world has interpreted it. It's, it's, I run towards failure because that is how I learn. And so and then I run towards it again, because every time I fail, I learn. Do
0: you think and, that there's a a mindset shift that needs to happen then, because people are so focused on getting the mistakes out of the way as though they're going to, quote, unquote, arrive at this traction moment and then past that moment, there isn't as much failure?
1: Oh, yeah. The idea that you will somehow stop failing means that, you have stopped trying, right? That you have stopped pushing yourself. If you find that you have stopped failing, it means that that you have ceased to take risks almost always. I feel less. I feel less than I used to because I often can see it coming or move, move quickly enough to avoid it or I have failed so many times that I now know how to avoid all those failures. But I think that was, I don't know how many staffing changes of Netflix ago, it was, but someone who worked there at some point in some position of leadership.
0: <laughs> this is a great quote. <laughs> it's going to be a long byline. Someone who eventually or previously worked at Netflix at some period in time. Said,
1: Maybe. No, it, it was definitely them. He, he made a point where he said that we should be canceling more shows. The fact that we're not canceling shows is not something to be proud of. The fact that we're not canceling shows means that we're not taking risks. Mm. This could be prior to financial challenges that, again, make that argument more difficult. You could make the argument that that means even more seriously that you should be innovating and taking risks. But
0: Well, I think there's a strong argument to be made that when you are afraid of failure you tend to keep things around that should have been killed as ideas or business lines or endeavors because you essentially are trying to insulate your ego or insulate the brand's ego. We can't be seen as not being successful. And if we kill this idea, well, we just killed another idea six months ago. And if we kill this one, it's going to seem like a trend. Yeah. And so it's much worth the cost to just keep yeah. it going,
1: which is, Foolish. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about our conversation, you know, prepping to try and sound smart. And <laughs> I was thinking, about. I mean, a lot of this for me comes out of, you know, I, I mentioned like right out of right out of school, started a business. And after, you know, putting everything into that, like all my heart and soul, my little 23 year old heart and soul, just like I just I burned out. I would say, I I just burned out creatively. And mm. that was part of me stepping away from that part of thinking, well, who else is going to pay me to make words But lawyers will pay me to make words? They, they, they seem to, you know,
0: very be interested
1: in that. Yeah. But that felt like a huge failure to me that I thought I was never going to recover from. That mm. was my inoculation with the live virus. And, and I don't I don't want to pretend like that wasn't a years long recovery because it was, it took like years for me to, to even think about, maybe I want to start agency work again. Yeah. But that process, then you you rise from the dead and you realize, well, I can't be killed again.
0: <laughs> That's right. I have you know? <laughs> immunity.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's, it it's on. amazing. It's a, it's an amazing
0: You said something earlier, you said something earlier, and I don't want, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you, you, when you're in that environment of being in the boutique agency and you started it, so you're this hybrid mind, right? You're, you're being the creative that's delivering the work, you're selling the work, you're, you're talking about, you know, everything that comes with a small business. You weren't just inoculated on learning and failure. You were inoculated on how to look into, all aspects of what makes a business run. And that seems to be something that you've brought with you into the way that you approach creative work. And you even were talking about this earlier on that this hybrid strategy, being the writers, being involved in the design, that there's, there's not just a clear siloed, I hand it off like a baton, but that mm-hmm. we're working as a unit all the way through because we need to solve business problems. We actually yeah. need to get the company to where they need to go. What have you found has been transformative to the teams that you work with when you bring that mindset to the table to think about the structure of the business, to dig a little deeper?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there's, I think that, as you know, when you run your own business, everything is your responsibility and no one else is going to take care of it. And if you don't take care of it, it will not get taken care of. And so this creates a sort of 360 degree scanning tick that is important and helpful for the business. I found it like detrimental to my creative process. I think at times where, because it was hard, I think I just found a hard, I found it hard to make room for that creative space where you don't need to worry about anything except for this problem that you're trying to solve and
0: true yeah there's a there's a data overload because you're not just looking at it to be aware of it you actually have to deal with it
1: yeah exactly versus how do we pay the electric bill right this month? <laughs> that sort of you know that that sort of not not like the home electric bill like the office electric bill you know what i mean things like that well, so the,
0: the reason i ask is because like there are maybe not too many people who would be listening to this podcast that work at an agency but there are a mm-hmm. lot of people that will be working in a marketing department which is basically mm-hmm. an internal agency to the company that they work for and oftentimes what i've found is that those marketing teams can be insulated from the needs of the broader business that they're trying yeah. to solve kind of in their own silo and how have you come alongside those teams and even internal teams because Maybe when you joined your team at Upstatement, that mindset wasn't there and you're coming alongside young designers and copywriters and, and getting them to say, ask questions about how they're making money, ask questions about what is the retention of their clients or things along those lines.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the connection to me is the 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 ethos that everything is my problem or everything is allowed to be my problem,
0: mm, you know,
1: like yeah, and. And that, if you think that way, and that that sort of comes from being trained of everything really was your problem, but then when you then step into an environment where technically, maybe officially, not everything is your problem, you know, maybe you're not on the sales team, maybe you're not on the customer service team, but if you exist with the mindset of like, well, no, everything is my problem because I am interconnected to everything that's happening here, you have permission to stick your nose in to mm. areas that you think could be done in a way that could be better. You know, there's no reason to not wander down the office and ask someone about what they're doing. And if you have ideas, offer to make their life easier. Don't offer to tell them how they should do their job, offer to make their life easier by taking on some of their work because you think maybe you wanted to try doing something a different way you know i mean for for me that you know once i jumped back into agency life it was we called it work lurking i think that was one of one of our a woman who's incredibly Did you say work talented. lurking work lurkin work <laughs> lurkin and it meant it meant going into the business development the sales office with your laptop and sitting in a chair in that office doing your work just waiting to hear if anything interesting came over the ether could have been super annoying for the sales team, but it wasn't because work lurking no, meant, I like I it. am, it's harder am to do here. in a remote
0: environment, but
1: it is, it is, but you can, you can work lurk in a Slack channel very easily. You can work lurk if, 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 a if any type of, if there is documentation anywhere of where leads are coming in or where, customer service complaints you know, are sale, coming in. Yeah, that's huge. You can lurk in any of those places. I love that. And and the, the key is be helpful, <laughs> help people, offer to help. That is the point of work lurking, not to criticize or to suggest that other people should be working differently. You are there as human sacrifice. You well, know? You're also there and, to
0: listen, right? And to learn Through listening, because sometimes it's like, well, what about this? What about this? You're asking all these questions, but it's like, just listen, just listen, observe, just take it in.
1: Exactly. Although I would, I would caution not to just leave it there. You can learn a lot by listening, but the way things happen is by sticking your head up and saying like, I want to do, can I help? Show me how I can make your life easier yeah, no, I love that. what if what if I did it this way? Now, what if you did it this way? that's no right, one wants right, to right. hear that. That's the mm-hmm. most annoying thing from a outsider, quote unquote, outsider. but yeah, I don't know. True. so I, I think I think that's I think that's maybe I think the the idea that everything is my problem and having a very real understanding that the your salary doesn't just fritter down from the sky, like realizing that, oh, the money that I get is a direct result of the money that comes in from those people. It becomes, again, maybe frightening, but also empowering to realize I, I have some agency here. That's right. You know, and, I, can, and I can do something. Everyone,
0: and everyone has a component of making sure that that revenue is coming in so that the company stores stay open. One of the challenges that I found, and I don't know if you found the same thing, is when you're in a creative field, you often run this tension between what is my personal perspective of what should happen? Because it's I have a creative perspective and the tension between needing to accomplish something that our end user or our end customer is truly trying to achieve in their business, meaning there's a difference between design and art. I've always heard that like design is art serving humanity or art to some end. Do mm-hmm. you see a difference between those two things? Or how do you define the difference between personal perspective and artistic license and being able to negotiate what the end user is actually going to value?
1: I think that I think that, that is also one of the benefits to becoming more involved in research and strategy is that your creative work becomes less of a selfish pursuit where I want to do this cool thing. How can I force my cool thing on the client and their un- unknowing customers? <laughs> you know, right. it, it, it becomes more of a, how am I going to solve this problem? I have I have these tools. My toolkit is words. People I work with, their toolkit is picture making, I'll just call it design that is design. You know, some people's I'm toolkit. sure all the
0: designers listening love that just <laughs> like mean, they just like they love when somebody says, hey, we'll do this and then you can make it pretty.
1: Yeah, yeah. Zhuzh it up. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> you know, I'm taking the hit though. I, I make words is more and That's more true. the way I have to say this because words like messaging, positioning, Value proposition are so gray that you have to at some point say, Do you want me to make words or not? (laughs) And and people will say, like, yes, make words for me. And it's become very
0: make good words.
1: Cave, yeah, cave person, like, but you know, whatever works. But yeah, I think that I think that if 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 you have been involved in talking to a wide base of of not only, you know, clients, but also users, you know, if you have built empathy through that process, and if, if you see your work as solving communication problems, versus a frustrated way of squeezing your art dreams through a very tiny hole, you know, like, I, I don't think that it becomes a problem, because I, you know, I don't want to write novels, I want to solve interesting problems through communication and create, create these, like help people shape and create an identity that in a world that they can then inhabit that makes work in a company more rewarding that makes engaging with a product more rewarding and more human and more honest and more real.
0: I love that. That's not
1: about me trying to like get bromide into a <laughs> website hero, you know,
0: well, I think you said something- I just try and earlier.
1: cram it into podcasts. That's
0: good. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to have to figure out how to just bring it into the natural conversation of my day-to-day. I'm sure my family will love that. Yes. The You said something about brands needing to be living really in this full ecosystem that they really touch every element of life or they could if they have a personality mm-hmm. and they're building a perspective inside of the markets that they serve. And I feel like it's it's interesting because you're saying that in the way that you're building those brands also has to think that same way. Like for you to build a brand that is able to influence and bring personality into finance, like if you're invoicing a client, is there a moment yeah. of levity there all the way to the customer experience, all the way to the sales experience, all the way to the, you know, you name it. You also, you have, you can't create that if you don't always already think that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I don't, You know, I don't think brands should be allowed into every aspects of people's lives. Of course not. But I think that when you engage with an organization, why not have that be a moment that brings delight and the humanity shines through that versus-
0: Permission to at least explore it. It's not that it always should end up executing against the ideas that you have explored, but you have this permission and you're empowering the teams to think about that.
1: Yeah, why not?
0: I agree. Last question for you. Actually, second to last. There's someone listening to this who's either early in their career, they aspire to be a a leader, or they are really leading a team right now, even that they just don't have the title. Is there Mm -hmm. something that you would encourage them to either start doing or stop doing in order to have more influence in the team that they're working as a part of?
1: I think if you were leading a team and you don't have the title, you should go ask for the title because there are a lot of people I've gotten trapped into that and, and it's not just, yeah. So you should do that.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. (laughs) But even if you are more of like, you're in a junior role and you're aspiring to be a leader, but you have like that, that leadership drive, you may not have necessarily the org structure responsibility of leading the team, but you are just mm-hmm. kind of taking it on yourself. Mm-hmm. What's one thing that you've you found has helped you or maybe that you give as advice to others as to how they can be more influential?
1: I think I think we've talked about we probably talked about it, a bunch of them already, but I I think and this feels a little trite, but you don't have to wait for permission to lead, just lead stuff no one no one will probably give it to you until it's too late so if you want to lead find something to lead it could be something tiny and and document what you're doing maybe mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing yes 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 if 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 you are if you're leading on the sly or even if you're not leading on the sly document the things that you're leading and the outcomes of that leadership and that is a way to get official leadership and it's the way to Get more leadership if you are already official.
0: Love it. More leadership.
1: You, more leadership.
0: <laughs> that sounded very drone-like, yes. <laughs> leadership zombie. <laughs> Lastly, as are you reading anything of interest or anything you recommend that others either listen to as a podcast or a book you're reading or just something that's an inspiration to you that other people should know about?
1: I often am disappointed by marketing and branding books. If I'm totally honest, I I think, but finding truths about branding and marketing and other things, I think is actually a really interesting way to learn. For example, the thing that I'm listening to right now that I'm delighted by is Murmurs of Earth. Okay. It is, Not heard of that. it's a book that's about the gold records on the Voyager. And it, it's it's an entire book that's just about how the heck they managed to, A, be allowed to do that, to contain, to, to strap a gold record to the spacecraft that we were shooting into the universe, how they chose the content that was going to go on it, all the fights they had to have, like all the work. It's, it's Carl Sagan it's and his team. And so and and a lot of the team when they recorded this audiobook was still was still with us Carl Sagan wasn't i think his son reads his portions of it it is amazing and so it it has so much relevance to if you've ever tried to make something and get it off the ground and get it out into the world there's just so much so much re- and then the choices that you make about what you want to say about yourself it's just fascinating That's except awesome. they're all wicked smart scientists you know and (laughs) i'm assuming because you said
0: red it's an audiobook that you you downloaded or
1: it is oh yeah yeah i there's there's i love audio i feel like i somehow switched to audiobooks from podcasts a while ago i don't remember why i did that but i
0: almost see them as the same thing it's just a longer form podcast
1: yeah fewer ads and (laughs) yeah but i i recommend the audiobook because you can hear you can hear the the, the author's reading. It's the scientist. It's not a performer, cool. you know, Murmurs it's the, of Earth. Murmurs of Earth. It's, it's fascinating.
0: Awesome. Allie, thanks so much for the time. Great conversation.
1: Yes. It's so good to see you.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. This podcast is brought to you by Onward Insights. Onward empowers teams to uncover hidden bandwidth deepen customer retention, improve user engagement and drive conversations that lead to new revenue. Learn more at OnwardInsights.com.